Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. How are you doing this fine afternoon or evening or whenever you're listening to this? I'm Ray Harkins with 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I hope you had an extra one day of rest and relaxation and maybe organizing some records, which is what I did on that beautiful day that we had off, the good old President's Day holiday. I have a doubleheader episode for you. I love metalcore. And uh, I like bands that play that particular style of metalcore. And I have two people who are creating that stuff currently. One actually just ended up recently leaving his band, uh, which I'll get to in a moment. But uh, the first guest you will hear is Ethan Harrison, the vocalist for Great American Ghost. Him and I have a million mutual friends, and we were able to uh, hop on the phone as he was on tour and we had a great discussion because the band has been kicking around for quite some time. But, uh, you know, this being their first, their debut full length that just came out last Friday on E1 Heavy, um, I just, I was really interested in kind of hearing all of the struggles that the band has had, as well as being able to keep a positive attitude about, uh, you know, pursuing the whole band life stuff and finding a balance between the real world and then playing in a band. And yeah, I just find it so interesting. And then the second part of our two header is Travis Tabrone, who recently actually just left his band called Varials, who's on Fearless Records. Um, we actually had this discussion before he had left the band. This was probably about a month and a half before he left. And uh, even though we talk, you know, about the band, there after listening to the uh, episode again as I was editing it, there were a lot of uh, I don't know kind of indicators. <laughs> when we were having this discussion that he was uh, tired because frankly, you know, the, the reasoning that he kind of gave from a public facing perspective on, you know, social media and stuff was the fact that he was just, you know, kind of burnt out and life on the road had kind of worn him down and he wanted to, you know, be comfortable at home and no one can blame anybody for wanting that. So, but anyways, I uh, am very excited about both these chats and you will hear them in a brief moment. You should email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com, like I always encourage you to do. And because, yeah, I just like to have an open dialogue with you, the listener. And there's been people who have been throwing some rad guest ideas. We're like, hey, I'm friends with this person. They should come on the show. And I'm like, you know what? That's a really good idea. Let's do this. Um, and then also leave a review on whatever podcast player you are interested in, or, or actually how you consume stuff. Um, so, yeah, just go ahead and do that, please. I, I encourage you. So, Doubleheader, let's go listen right now. No place, no peace, no innocence. No one is truly innocent. Locked away behind heaven's gates. We only know the hell 
I, I've been aware of your band for a while, just as far as like, you know, because you, you guys have had, uh, you know, a lot of lineup changes and you guys have done, you know, you've done a lot over the past because you've been a band now for what, five, six years? Uh, I believe it's like seven now. Okay. We're up to seven. Okay. We're, <laughs> we're up to seven. <laughs> um, yeah, we're up to, we made it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're almost in the double digits. <clears throat> um, oh, God. I, I know. I hope that. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> But it's one of those things where it's like I would always see your name pop up and be like, like, oh, it's you know, it's cool. Like It seems like you guys have, um, you know, uh, some interest in playing some shows. And then, you know, maybe uh, because of lineup changes, you have to, you know, kind of pump the brakes a little bit. You've kind of had this, you know, really interesting ebb and flow to the band, um, you know, not by choice, I'm sure, because you'd rather probably have just yeah. kept one lineup. Um, <laughs> yes, I would have. Right. But, you know, kind of going through all that, like, does it, um, you know, does it give you, I guess, uh, more perspective on, you know, kind of how a a band works or like, you know, how does that kind of uh, affect the way you view the band? Um, You know, it's difficult. You're right. I mean, it's been like an up and down, um, consistent kind of like consistent inconsistency for us, you know? And uh, it's changed my perspective on the band as far as like, I used to think that it didn't matter, you know, that we could just blow through members if we wanted. And uh, Joey and I were the kind of the stable force and it was okay. But it's like, you don't, it's hard because you don't know the conversations that happen when you're not around. So it's like, as much as I think that we can just roll with it and be fine, it's kind of like, you know, are we really fine? Because in the, in the conversations that are happening when we're not around, it's like, well, that band, you know, they're very unstable or they keep losing members, you know, move on, moving on. You know, we're not going to give them this tour. We're not going to do this thing. So it's been really helpful to have a consistency now. And also it's been super helpful to be able to write a record that I feel like is finally kind of what we want to be. So it's, it's, uh, it's all kind of worked out all at once. And I'm, I'm thankful for it, but yeah, it was, uh, it was difficult there for a couple of years, you know, and I, I was thinking that it didn't matter, but now looking back at it, hindsight being what it is, it, it obviously affected us pretty, uh, pretty heavily, you know, so sure. here we are now though. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, I think to your point, like when you are so, you know, when it's like, when you feel like you have, you know, one or two. Uh, I guess, you know, solid, stable people that, you know, you've known for years and, you know, you, you kind of have gone through a lot of things. You sometimes get so singularly focused of like, well, like this thing will carry on, you know, regardless and like we'll push it through and like, you know, we'll find other people. And, and then sometimes, like you said, you don't have you, you, whatever the saying, you can't see the forest from the trees. Like you, you're just so focused on right. moving it forward as opposed to like, oh, like, hold on, let's stop and see if like there are structural changes we need to look at or whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not, you know, there's no conspiracy theory here, but it's just like, like I said, I mean, it's hard to know what everybody is thinking about you when you're not around. It's like, you know, that band's a train wreck. No one's going to tell me that my band is a train wreck to my face, but like, <laughs> right. you know, if they're looking at us and they're looking at us objectively, it's kind of like, well, that band is always fluctuating and I don't understand why. So we're going to steer clear of that. And, we've been lucky now that we've got a team that like really believes in us and trusts us. And now we have a band that actually is, you know, a band and we're not going to be changing at all. So it's like, I feel like now we're kind of in the right position to be 
to be moving forward without having to worry about it. It is so annoying. God, it's so annoying. <laughs> right, you know, right. Finding a new drummer, finding a new drummer every 20 minutes is so goddamn annoying. <laughs> it's it's the worst. But like you said, at least now that, you know, things kind of uh, congeal together at the same time <laughs> from, you know, putting out a record and, you know, working with people who you trust. And like, you know, if you were to kind of put some of those parts together, you know, when you were having, uh, uh, you know, all of the lineup changes, like, you know, it wouldn't have worked out positively because those people would have been like, Oh no, we're not, we don't trust this or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that everything, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I don't actually believe that shit, but (laughs) I do think that we are, I believe that we are lucky in that we have now kind of found our, footing at the exact right time. I mean, it's everything in the world is luck. I don't, again, I don't believe in fate. I don't believe in any of that shit. So it's like, you know, in a pure stroke of luck, I found the drummer that I needed and I wrote the record that I feel like we needed to write. So now I'm, I feel like we're ready to move forward Yeah. after yeah. seven goddamn years. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. Um, and something else I've always found interesting too, is because you, um, you know, because you personally have existed in the scene for a while and you, you know, you've toured a decent amount and you've met a lot of people. Um, and you know, because of that, you know, so many people, especially like when they're starting bands and, you know, kind of starting off their journey in the punk and hardcore world, don't realize that, uh, you know, the relationships that you create when you are, you know, 16, 17 years old. Uh, you know, you can have for 10 plus years or whatever. And I'm sure you've seen that in so many respects with uh, your band and people supporting you and stuff like that. It's true, man. It's, it's crazy. This world is so small (laughs) and you know, it's like, I always say it's like either this person, either these people have been doing this for 15 years and they're never going to stop or they only do it for two years and then they grow up and they go away, you know? And that's, both of those are fine. It's like, sometimes there are kids that go to shows and it's like, well, this was great. And this was just a phase. And now I'm, I'm out and kids are, they go on to be accountants or whatever and be normal. But otherwise the amount of people that stick around for, you know, decades plus, it's like, it's completely, it's ridiculous how small it is and how, I mean, like I said, when uh, we first started talking, it's like Jay from rain Supreme. I mean, I call him Jay from rain Supreme. Now he's an end and uh, a couple other things, but, you know, Jay, I met when I was, I was 16 and I was, you know, I loved Rain Supreme. They were my favorite band and it was just like this super organic thing. And then I got to fill in for end. And then it's like, I meet the guys in misery signals and I, you know, all these bands that I've been around for a long time and I've been going to shows for a long time. And it's kind of like, you know, I met Greg Thomas when I filled in for end and he was kind of like, yeah, I know, you know, we knew each other because we've been around forever, but it's just kind of like, it's just crazy the way that people just stick around in this scene. And, and like you said, bringing it all back around, it's like, you know, it affects your band immensely because, you know, if I didn't know Pat from Fit for an Autopsy as well as I did, just from being human beings the way that we are together, I wouldn't know Will and Will wouldn't be our manager and I wouldn't have half the things that Great American Ghost has because Will has been the best thing that's ever happened to us. So it's like, you know, all of these connections that you make when you're 16, 17, 18 years old come to fruition when you're 30, because we're all still doing it. Mm -hmm. No, it's really, honestly, it's really important. And I I think that, you know, not many people, 
uh, I mean, it gets talked about in the hardcore scene in cliches, but I don't think like, you know, when you actually sit down and look at it, I mean, you put it perfectly. The the, the people that, um, you know, I actually use the, <laughs> the, the number of seven years. I think once you have been committed to this thing and I say committed, you know, going to shows and, you know, doing whatever, being active in the scene, I think once you've reach that seven year point, then you're in it forever, you know? Um, but like, yeah, you said, you're, you're screwed. You're right, fully right. screwed. <laughs> totally. You're fully yeah. screwed. Your, your, your life perspective has changed forever and you will never think about things in a different way. <laughs> you will always yeah, be a hard it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. And you know, and we went on tour, we did a tour of Sifford autopsy <clears throat> about two years ago and it went really well. And, uh, I was 29 at the time. I'm 31 now. And, uh, we went out and it went so well and I, I got home and I got back to my apartment and I just was like, fuck man, this is what I'm going to do. Like, this is it. And you know, I'd already had that thought a bunch of times, you know, you talk about that with yourself when you're 21 and 25 and it's like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. But when you're 29 and people are like, Hey dude, like maybe have a kid or like maybe buy a house soon. And instead, you know, I went out with my best friends and we had a, a really great tour and it was like, well, this is it. Like, this is what I'm going to do until I'm unable to do it anymore. And that conversation that you have with yourself is, is scary. And yeah, I mean, seven years is a great marker. I think my, that conversation happened to me on my 14th year, like going to shows, but I mean, still, yeah. I mean, if you're doing it for seven, you're there, you're ancient right. as far as hardcore goes, you're <laughs> yeah. fucking ancient seven years. Totally. That's a long time. It's a very long time. You've, You've measured, and I also measure the kind of, uh, you know, the generational gap in, um, you know, hardcore and punk, like every four years, like, you know, high school, it's like every four years you see a new batch of kids, a whole new genre popping up and all that sort of stuff, just because that's, you know, that's the, the, like, to your point, that's the lifespan of what people who are kind of coming in, you know, being, and I don't use this word, uh, disparagingly, but, you know, being a tourist and kind of sampling this out, um, and then leaving and then doing something else. Yeah. But you know what, that, that shit's important too. You know, like I, I always hate the negativity that comes along with like people being like, you know, well, you know, in three years you're going to be gone. It doesn't even fucking matter. And it's kind of like, Oh, that does matter. Those people do matter. Those people buy records. Like those people give a shit for those three years. That's, that's important. You know, like even if they're not going to be here for 20 fucking years, like some of us are, you know, just like, they're equally as important to this scene as, as we are. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, they show up and fuck off. Like, that's great. I appreciate that. I'm happy that they were here and they're always going to remember that. And, you know, I don't know. I, I just remember the way I felt when I went to my first show, I went to misery signals and remembering never like before misery signals put out malice. And I was like, I just remember being terrified and, feeling like I was going to die, but also feeling like it was the best feeling in the whole world. And I don't know if someone wants to have that for two years and then go be a fucking, you know, I don't know, go be like a doctor. That's tight. I'm happy for them. You know, they have their weird years. That's sick. Yeah, for sure. And, and to your point, the enthusiasm that uh, new people bring, you know, it it, it hopefully balances out, uh, you know, any sort of, jaded feelings that people that have been going to shows for a long time can kind of snap back and remember those feelings of what you're talking about of like, Oh yeah. Like this is a pretty sick thing that we're involved in. Yeah. I just feel like people, I feel like people don't have perspective, you know, like when you're older and you've been doing this for a long time, it's like, 
I just remember be, people, I know people now, I hear people be like, you know, shows used to be this, or shows used to be scary, or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, dude, you're just, you're just old. Like, we're just old, and, and we're used to it now. But for a 16, 17-year-old kid, going to a Knock Loose show might be fucking terrifying. You know, it's like, that might be something that changes their life and is awesome. And, and I use, it's funny, because I use terrifying to refer to shows not as a negative it's a positive it's, it's this feeling that you only get going to hardcore you know you only get caring about that kind of stuff the kind of feeling where it's like this is dangerous and i love it you know like it's like skydiving but for kids in fucking vans you know it's like <laughs> yeah it's just different and, and that's important and you know we don't feel that anymore you and i go into these shows because we know everybody and you know this is the industry we live in and work in so we're just kind of standing there watching it all happen but for some kid that goes, even to something like a fucking August Burns Red show or something, nothing wrong with that band, but they're not technically a hardcore band. It's like, you know, they go to that show and they feel something and that's important. So I don't judge anybody for feeling any certain way. I'm, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I hope to God that somebody goes to my show and feels that, you know, feels the way I felt when I first started listening to metal and hardcore and stuff. I, you know, that's the goal. That's, that's really all I want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You want, not only is this, you know, uh, something, you know, from a selfish perspective, it's, it's fun. It's fun to be creative, but then, you know, there is that interesting feeling of what you're talking about of you feeling the compulsion to give back what you've taken from it. Like, like you said, giving that feeling to a, you know, 15 year old kid that just happens to see your band. Like, you know, if you get, you know, one kid to feel that you're just like, well, that this whole thing was worth it. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly it. It's like all these shows that I can remember and I will remember forever. You know, like growing up, I remember my dad used to tell me about how he, uh, he played back like football in his head. You know, he used to play football. So he would play it back in his head. He'd be like, those are the good times. You know, those are the things that I remember. Those are the things that I think about when I'm going to sleep, you know, aside from, I guess, probably being happy that he had me, hopefully fingers crossed, but you know, uh, he would think about that kind of shit. Those were glory days. And for me, it's like, I do. I think about, like, hardcore. I think about, you know, metalcore, and I think about metal. I think about the shows that I went to or the shows I played, you know. The first feel, the, free, the feeling I got when I first walked onto the Palladium stage and felt like I was going to throw up because I was so excited and overwhelmed and, you know, all these feelings that I had from playing this venue that I grew up going to. And, you know, that's a feeling that I hope that we can inspire in someone. If, if great American ghost inspired some kid to start a band, then that would be the, the best thing that I could have possibly done with my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. The, the inspiration to, um, you know, be creative and express yourself and frankly find out about a, um, you know, a new, a, a different way of thinking than maybe their peers are. And yeah, I, it, I agree. It's so incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, and like, dude, like straight edge. I mean, like yeah. straight edge is, I, I would have never found straight edge if I hadn't started listening to hardcore. And, you know, it's like, that was such an important part of my life for so long. I mean, I'm still straight edge, but I'm a different kind of person now. You know, it's when you get up to like 30 and 31 and shit, it's kind of, you know, you have to <laughs> redefine your version right. of straight edge a little bit, but it's kind of like, dude, when I was fucking 20 and or younger, I mean, when I was in high school and everybody around me was partying and shit and I was the weird kid cause I didn't want to, it's like, it gave me a place to be gave me a place to like exist and feel safe. And, you know, that was, that was super important. And if anybody finds that 
through hardcore, then then I uh, I give them a lot of credit, and I hope that I hope I can help that in some fucking way. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and you know, kind of on that similarish topic, you know, the, the fact that you've um, you know been able to experience uh, you know so many kind of different sides of uh, you know the music industry from you know being kind of, you know, one of the, the main business people in the band and, you know, touring and kind of doing all this stuff. Um, you know, do you, I, I guess, do you like the uh, business aspect of the band or is that something that you just have to kind of do because obviously, you know, there's, there's only one way forward and that's by, you know, trying to get out of the garage and accomplishing business. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes you can ask my guys, sometimes I don't like it that much, but no, I, I love it. I, you know, it's, it's, it's actually kind of a passion of mine. It's, uh, it's like a strange, it's a strange hobby slash passion that I have to do the business side of music. Uh, it's something I really enjoy about it. Um, it's like something that I think about on an almost constant basis. Like I think about the next move and I think about, you know, how best to do this next thing and how we should go about doing this thing. And I plan, you know, I plan like 10 steps ahead for everything that we do. I, I have a plan for how I want it to be executed, et cetera. So like, I, uh, yeah, I actually, I really love it personally. I mean, and that's why I like doing it for other bands as well. You know, if like I've helped out some other bands and tried to do my best to help my friends and things. And it, uh, yeah, it actually really interests me. So I, uh, I love it. And yeah, I was tour managed. I tour managed for a long time and that was, uh, that was exhausting in a special sort of way, but, uh, <laughs> sure. still taught, it still taught me, it still taught me a lot. And those, those lessons are valuable and I still apply them every day. You know, this is what I do. We all like to go to shows. We all like to have special experiences at these shows, right? Like you just want to leave the venue feeling elated about life, feeling lifted and soundrank.com will contribute to that elation. And what they do is they work hand in hand with bands and management to create custom made VIP experiences for these shows, whether it's a poster, a t-shirt, an actual experience like hanging out and playing board games with your favorite band members. No joke, they have thought of everything and they continue to push the envelope with the creative ideas that they come to the table with. Anything is potentially possible with these VIP tour packages. So you can go to soundrink.com, find the tour that is coming through your town, because most likely they're working with Soundrink and they will have something amazing for you to check out. Like I know the Thrice tour that's going around right now has an amazing silkscreen poster that you can only get through Soundrink. I just love the care to attention and detail that this company puts into making sure that you leave with that feeling of like, dude, not only was that a show, but that was an experience. I'm never going to forget that thing. So thank you, SoundRink, and go to their website and get your VIP package on now. All right? Now, here's the rest of the show. And, you know, because you have uh, centered your life uh, around music and the pursuit of, um, you know, just always being uh, being able to, you know, you know, at the drop of a hat, go on tour and stuff like that, and, you know, be able to be active with this stuff. Like you mentioned, you know, you've had to, put aside some of the quote unquote normal things that people do. Um, you know, was the, is there, um, I guess, uh, pressure from your, you know, like, you know, do your parents look at what you're doing? Be like, Oh my gosh, Ethan, I, I have no idea what you're doing. Or are they just like, well, you know, he's, he's finding his way. Um, they were, I mean, they were probably, I think they were when they thought they could affect me, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not a young man anymore. You know, I'm a sure. I'm an older gentleman as far as hardcore goes. So, um, they used to, you know, they used to be like, you should do this or you should do that. But now it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty overwhelmingly positive. I will say that, um, I also do like, I have a home life and I, I have like a job that I work when I'm home. That is very much like a normal ass dude job. Like I'm a plumber when I'm home. So I think that that like, you know, that kind of fills the checks, the boxes of being right. kind of normal for them. So they're, <laughs> totally. they're pretty good with that. Totally. Well, but, and, and I, I yeah. think, I mean, I think to your, to your point, it's one of those things where, you know, so many, and honestly, I think that so many people don't, um, you know, like when they are, uh, starting a band and, you know, whatever, start to tour and like start to have all of these different, um, uh, things pull them in different directions. Um, you know, y- you do have to find that balance of being able to exist in a real life, but then also, you know, pursue create, you know, these creative things that you're doing. And I, I think so many people don't consider that, um, how you have to try to figure out a way to kind of thread both those needles. Yeah. You know, I think that, <laughs> I think that there's a moment, like I, I really believe that there's a moment that everybody has, And, uh, you know, a lot of people, I always say that, you know, 95% of people aren't capable of touring. Like they just aren't capable of doing it. It's not a normal thing. It's not how people are typically meant to live. So there's this moment that you reach and everybody reaches it at a different time where you have to choose to do this thing. And it's the most ridiculous fucking thing. And it's like, like you said, you know, like, my life is set up to be dropped at a moment's notice. Like I could go on tour if they called me and they were like, Hey, Gojiro wants you to tour right now, tomorrow. I'd be like, okay. And we'd be there. And that choice happens for everybody at different times. And a lot of people choose to go home and that's fine. You know, I've I've had plenty of members, you know, I've literally watched members have that moment and been like, well, that's the end of that. Like right. they're not going to be touring with us anymore. Right. You know, and that's, and that's fine, but it's like, you have to, you have to have that choice in that moment. And, you know, to your, to your question earlier, it's like my parents are supportive, but they also have no weight really on what I do. And they're aware of that. Cause I'm a grown man, but you know, I've given up, I've sacrificed a lot of personal relationships for this. And, and this isn't a sob story, but it's just the truth. It's like, you know, I've had relationships end because of this. And I know my guys have relationships that are, are, they have to be, they have to have pressure on them from this. You know, this is not normal. We're not normal people. So it's like, you know, they have to be feeling this pressure from choosing this life. And I always tell my guys, it's like, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have this relationship with this band. And then you're going to have a relationship with these, with people in your life. And it's like, no matter what you do, they're going to know that you're choosing to be away from them willingly. Right. And that's such an odd thing that human beings don't cope well with, you know, like I'm choosing to go away and be away from you for a certain amount of time. And even worse, there's going to be a poster about it. Right. You know, like you're (laughs) going to see it minimal (laughs) with, with minimal possible minimal financial returns. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, I'm choosing to be away from you. So like, I love you and all that. And you know, even your friends, like I love you and all this stuff, but like, I'm going to go away and I'm going to miss shit about your life. You know, it's like, 
I'm going to miss, you know, you having a baby or me, you know, you and I having our, our anniversary, you know, I'm going to be in fucking Albuquerque, New Mexico on your birthday. You know, it's like, this is the choice I'm making. And that's a, that's a tough thing for people to swallow. You know, it's like, look at fucking Lemmy, for example, like that dude, that dude never, you know, he was, he was alone because this is the choice he made forever. No, for sure. And and those are, those are definitely things that, um, you, uh, like you said, you know, every couple of years you take stock and you take inventory of the, you know, level of importance of, you know, to, to the extent that, you know, a, a lot of bands can exist in this sort of, um, you know, comfortable ecosystem of like, well, yeah, we can still be a band, but play like two shows a year or whatever, you know? Um, but then right. there's a, but like you said, but then, the, you know, there is a, a sli- there is a sliding scale of that where it's just like, well, no, we want to be more active than that. So we have to make these certain sacrifices or what have you. Um, but yeah, it's all, all, all these things are, you know, deliberate choices and stuff you have to weigh to see what is important to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just not me. You know, I can't, I can't do the, the two show thing. That's just never me. Never going to, never going to be me. It's like, I am a 100% or no percent at all. And that's just how I've always been. So it's like great American ghosts started that way. You know, we started off and I, I remember, you know, being like to all my loved ones being like, Oh yeah, this is just like a thing, you know, that I'm just doing cause it's fun. And it's like, what a, what a crock of horse shit, you know, <laughs> I, and everybody probably knew, and I didn't, but it was like, you know, within two years of starting the band, it was like labels are looking at us and we're like, I was like, well, maybe we'll like, yeah, maybe we'll tour, you know, a little bit more, you know? And then it's like, now we're out fucking, you know, as, as frequently as possible. And I'm chasing tours and right. I'm a complete crazy person, you know? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and kind of, you know, re- reflecting on, on you as a person with the, uh, you know, the impact that, you know, touring and, and music has had on you. Um, but then also, like you said, you know, you, I presume most of your, you know, peers at your, uh, you know, your plumbing work, like clearly have no context for, uh, you know, punk or hardcore and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I, I know you yourself, you obviously have a lot of the, uh, you know, proverbial job stopper tattoos of, uh, you know, tattoos on your neck and hands <laughs> and stuff like that. I do. Um, I do. I do indeed. Yes. Uh, so, you know, how, uh, I, I guess, how do people kind of, you know, commonly uh, react to you, uh, you know, your average civilian or what have you, you know, once they start to get, get to know you and stuff like that? I mean, clearly you're a nice guy, so it's not like you're, um, oh my gosh, like hey. I can't talk to him. But, uh, you know, there you you would look intimidating, I, I imagine, for some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, I can uh, I can be not a super nice guy. I can be kind of a I can be kind of a dickhead, but, but is it, is it that, that is, yeah, isn't that just part of uh, the Boston mentality? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that, I'm, no, I, yeah, I think that's our speed. I think that's just what I have. I don't know. I, I don't know any other way. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, the, my career is very blue collar. So uh, they're mostly just like psyched. They're mostly just psyched. It's like, they're mostly just like, you know, you fucking leave for like six months at a time. And like, you like go on tour or whatever, like you must like make tons of money. And I'm like, I don't, I make no money at all. Right. Like I make zero fucking money. And they're like, that's sick, bro. Like I'm psyched, man. I wish I could do that. That's, that's pretty much it. I mean, they're always excited. They always want to like live vicariously through, you know, your weirdness. And it's like, you know, they, they see Motley Crue where I see, you know, just some fucking smelly dudes in a van. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> totally. I, and I love to yeah. like, 
I, I don't think for as long as, you know, DIY touring has existed now, which, you know, ostensibly for the past 40 or 50 years, the the word yeah. tour will still mean something so different to a, you know, 95% of the population, whereas like 5% is always like, yeah. oh yeah, it's just a smelly van with some people in it. Yeah, it's just, it's such a strange, it's such a strange dichotomy because like, yeah, you know, 95% of people have seen behind the music and they're just like, so dude, like, are there girls everywhere? And I'm like, <laughs> honestly, no, there's like dudes. It's mostly just dudes, right? Like most of our crowd is dudes, which I would love it to be more women, but I'm just stating a fact that it's like a very male heavy presence in hardcore and metal. So it's like, no, we're not like you know, we're not on the sunset strip, like fucking, you know, like poison. And then like right. tour is just like, tour is such a weird thing. It's such a weird thing that people don't understand. It's like, I played a show last night in Oklahoma city and there were 250 people there and it was so fucking fun. Right. It was like, what a great night. And this tour that we're on right now is so good. And there's so many people at every show, but to like your normal dude, 250 people isn't a lot of people. And they would think that I'd be like, you know, making money. But instead I was like, wow, what a fun night. And then I just like crawled into my bench in my van. I took a NyQuil because I am so sick right now that I was like, I took a NyQuil and I fucking passed out for 12 hours. And then you called me and I'm doing this thing. It's like, <laughs> that's my life. Right. It's not fucking, it is not fucking beautiful in any way. It is not, you know, this like shiny object that they all think it is. Right. It's uh it's empty water bottles in the van or half empty water bottles in the van. Dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. Fucking everywhere. <laughs> and like being vegan on the road, it's like it's just a lot of like searching for somewhere that will give you French fries that aren't fucking, you know, covered in meat. It's just like yeah. that's my life. I just chase like food I can eat and you know, try and sleep off the cold I got on day four of tour because I get a I get a cold every tour on day four. Every right. tour. <laughs> Just, yeah, just part and parcel. You know it's coming. You just have to push through it. <laughs> every fucking time. Dude, every time. So, yeah, that's that's mostly my life. Yeah, like, that's, that, that's, that's on, true. Uh, yeah, looking on Friendly Cow for, like, what the closest, nearest kind of vegan restaurant is and then just, like, hoping that our van doesn't break down. <laughs> I, I really like how you called it Friendly Cow when it's Happy Cow. And it's the best thing I've Whatever. ever heard. Yeah, I know. I love it. He looks fucking super friendly on the thing. I don't know. Dude. Whatever. I love that app. I love that fucking app so much. And I, I don't know what it's called, but I just know the little, I just know the little bands on there, the little cow bands. And he's looking friendly as hell. I, and every no. time I open them, I'm like, please, God, don't fuck me and tell me to go to a Chipotle. Isn't it the most disrespectful shit in the world when you open that app and it's like yeah. Chipotle? I'm like, yeah, I fucking know Chipotle. Right. I know Thanks. Chipotle could be vegan. I don't want to go there. <laughs> right. Totally. I just, I really do think they need to rebrand it friendly cow. Cause that is like, it, it it's just, that's, I just love that. I, I, one of yeah. my favorite things is when people, you know, I, I mean, I do this all the time where it's like, you get close enough to the thing where people know what you're talking about and it's just, it's beautiful. I yeah. love it. Yeah. 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 Friendly cow. Everybody knows what I mean when I say of friendly course. cow. It's not, that's not what it's called, no. but it's like, you know, the most disrespectful thing ever. It's like you open that, that app and it's like, you could get a salad at Jimmy John's. I'm like, fuck you. I don't want to fucking, <laughs> sorry, you're in Arkansas. It's, there's only a Quiznos and a Jimmy John's. Like, Give me a real a salad. solution here. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, fuck. 
Yeah. Oh man, beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, well, the the last thing I wanted to ask was the, um, you know, now that you are, um, you know, that now that you have a head of steam in regards to the fact that you know, you, like you said, you're working with people that uh, you trust from management and label and like you know, all, all these things are kind of falling into place. Um, you know, does it? I, I guess does it feel? Um, I mean, I know it feels different because you know there are things that you feel are you know positively happening for the band, um, but you know, does it feel I guess drastically different than you know how it felt maybe you know when you had some you know momentum in the past or you know how does that kind of feel now versus you know whatever a couple of years ago? Um, it feels very different and simultaneously not different. It's so it's it's weird. It's like. Um, like you said earlier, it's like, it's hard to see the forest from the trees or whatever the fuck that saying is. It's like, I, I'm in it every day. And, uh, the hardest part about being in a band. And I've talked about this with a friend of mine named Johnny from, uh, from the band prison. We talked about this the other night. It's like the hardest part about being in a band is that you get told all these good things. And then you get told no, like on an almost daily basis. It's like, you know, you're going to get a tour and then it's like, it doesn't happen. And then you, you're going to get this tour and then it doesn't happen. And then you do get a tour and you're like, that was cool. But like, I had just gotten told no five times before that. So I'm also kind of feeling weird. So it still feels similarly difficult in that way. But I will say that it does also have this subtle tinge of being different this time because like, and I think that the difference is that we wrote a record that we didn't care if anybody liked it and we sure. didn't care if it was weird or we didn't care if it was, you know, going to fit in with these people or these people. Like we just didn't give a shit. Like we just wrote this thing that we wanted to fucking write. And that feeling makes me feel like we're onto something more you know and like the reactions we've been getting from it from people that we really respect um that also gives you like a a, a bit of a like a bit of a push when you're like you know these are people i'd never heard from before and now they're telling me that i did something right and you're never really searching for that validation like i i with this new record i don't care like i don't really care if anybody likes it or not or if somebody in the industry thinks it's great or if it's the next big thing or whatever i don't really give a shit but it's nice to hear people that you respect tell you that they think that you did the right thing. And, you know, so it feels subtly different because we, uh, we made something for us. Like we just, we made a record that we wanted to make. It was, it's funny. Like when we were done recording, we were playing it back in the studio and, uh, because you have to like bounce the tracks as you know, but, uh, you bounce the tracks. So you have to basically listen to your whole record all the way through. And, uh, I just remember like looking at Nico who's our guitar player and like the other songwriter. And we just were like, kind of like scared almost, but like excited, but scared mm -hmm. because we were listening to this thing that we were like, what the fuck did we do? Yeah. You know, like what is this record that we made with singing and like, you know, breakdowns, but also like some songs have no fucking breakdowns. It's just, we just did a thing. So, I mean, I, I have a lot of hope for this particular situation and, and uh, I just I think that maybe this would be our time to to uh, you know yeah give it a go have people know who we are yeah no yeah, for sure cool. I, 
I'm I'm really excited for you guys. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and yeah, uh, being able to call in sick from the road. I really do appreciate it. <laughs> no, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And uh, I really hope that I get one of those one of those little pictures, one of those 100 words or less promo shots that I saw Scott Lee got, and now I want one. Now you want one. So okay. I hope that I get one. We yeah. will. We will. That's, we that's will really make... why I did this. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes. Society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, like I said, that was Ethan, and thank you very much for him appearing on the show. And now we have our chat with Travis, who was previously the vocalist for Model, 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 can I say that? Modern Metalcore Band Varials. So uh, yeah, let's, let's do this. You know, I am a uh, I am a 39 year old you know adult, um, but that still pays close attention to you know punk and hardcore because you know that's that's what we do. Well, not everybody, but you know, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I just started to hear your name pop up. You know, with uh, you know, the 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 genre of the you know quote unquote modern metalcore. You know, like how people yeah. describe it as such. And uh, you know, I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I like this. I mean. I played in bands for years that were, were classified as such as well, except a little more on the melodic side of things. And so I always like it when bands, you know, give nods to um, influences that obviously came before them and are like, oh, yeah, well, I like old bands. I like new bands. And I just want to kind of throw it all into this blender. Um, that is exactly the plan. <laughs> right, and, and that's kind of what <laughs> that was sort of the, the, the first question. That's a little bit more, uh, you know, of a larger discussion. But. Um, you know, because it, it sounds like you guys have obviously a lot of influences that, you know, go all the way back to the 90s. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. How, you know, how did you kind of personally s- sort of start get introduced to, you know, like punk and hardcore and stuff like that? You know, was that via older siblings? Was that just kind of friends? Was that the Internet? Was it kind of a combination of all of those things? Um, well, I'm the oldest of like six. Uh, so no siblings, uh, but I do enjoy a great deal showing my younger siblings like all of the heavy music and stuff because okay. they're like 14, 15, 16 right now and they're getting into it very heavily right now. Um, but my dad, my dad was always like the dude that would play like Rage Against the Machine in the car or like. Like, he wasn't necessarily big on heavy, heavy stuff, but he was really big on grunge. So it would be, like, any of those 90s grunge bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, like, the heaviest shit that he would, like, listen to with me was probably, like, System of a Down. Um, but we had to listen to those when, like, my mom wasn't in the car because she didn't like that kind of shit. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so that was, like, you and your dad's time where it's just like, all right, let's go aggro, Travis. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, we would go to the – we would go to, like – 
the grocery store or something by ourselves and just like blast system of a down. Um, that, I mean, that's not necessarily, I guess like hardcore punk, but that was probably my first introduction to like heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, I had this one friend that introduced me to punk music in like sixth grade, but that phase really only lasted for like two months. And when you say, um, when you, when you say punk, like, are you talking about, you know, sort of like Epitaph, Fat Records punk? Or are you talking about like Liberty Spike punk? What are we? What I'm are we... talking about like literally Liber- Liberty Spike punk, like okay. casualties and like all that kind of shit. Um, and that is, but, huge, like, you know, not not to be, interrupt your train of thought, but like that yeah. is something that is so, you know, being uh, I'm from Southern California and, you know, it, it, that sort of like, you know, Epitaph, Fat Records punk is, you know, inescapable. But so, oh, many, yeah. but so many times, like, you know, considering where you were from like you know bands like the casualties and that whole punk you know that whatever for lack of a better term gutter punk scene is so yeah. huge and so many people you know people know about them out here but not in the same way that people know about them in your area oh yeah for sure like it's one of those things where like um it was probably my first introduction to a real subculture uh and i only i only went to like two sh- i think i went to two shows in that time period that were like punk shows um i feel like the atmosphere is more what i appreciated about it than the music sure um so that that was probably like a two three maybe four month phase and then um after that uh i didn't really listen to anything heavy for like two-ish years and then somewhere around like freshman ah, actually probably somewhere around like like eighth grade-ish i met these two kids that transferred to my school and they were telling me about like like they were the obvious scene kids like i'd never seen see, uh scene kids before sure and, and they were the obvious scene kids and we started hanging out and they were like showing me music and shit and they were showing me this one band from my local area called o constantine that i didn't even know about and uh they were like oh you going to the show friday blah 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 and i was like what show what are you talking about i ended up going and it was like my first like metalcore show that i ever went to and it was like like do you remember like back in the day when like uh hardcore bands like uh, how do i put it like like the last 10 seconds of life okay of course in like 2007 yep where it was like still kind of like metal corey like they might even still synchronize bounce on stage but it's still (laughs) really really hard like yeah. Well, it was like, like that, like that kind of shit. Of course. Well, like that, uh, you know, I mean, so much came from the Southern California scene as well with bands like, you know, Winds of Plague and Suicide Silence and like yes. that, that, you know, the, the, the deathcore moniker and then how it kind of, you know, amalgamized itself into hardcore. So, yeah. I oh, think- exactly. Like when I started going to shows, it was that weird time period where like the songs were definitely metalcore but it was transitioning into more of like a hardcore influence. And like, I feel like the people were dressing and acting like they listened to hardcore music before they really found hardcore. Yeah. And it's interesting to watch that, that, uh, transition as the years go by. <laughs> no, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Cause it's something that, you know, I don't, um, you know, I don't, I don't think many people either, you know, reflect on or kind of focus on that point. Cause it is, the, and this was actually something I was going to ask a little bit later, but we can kind of bring it up now where it's like, you know, when you know, social media obviously started to, you know, take over uh, all of those bands, um, you know, just just their trajectory, like, you know, Job for a Cowboy and all those bands that, you know, got signed off of being really popular off the Internet. And, oh, yeah, man, that's that's exactly the time period I'm talking about. Yeah. And then like, 
it, but it was, it was that weird dividing line where it was like, you know, a lot of these kids that were playing in these bands were obviously from the hardcore scene, but they didn't necessarily, you know, they were still heavy and they obviously still had a lot of similarities to hardcore, but. Oh yeah. They're like hardcore adjacent. Right. But then a lot of kids that were, you know, sort of <clears throat> hardcore purists would look at them and be like, you know, oh, this band's like, this band sucks. Like this band's a poser, whatever, you know? Any oh of yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. and I feel like that is, you know, that still is true today where it's like, there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote, tried and true hardcore kids that look at, you know, you guys or counterparts or any of the bands that, you know, play, you know, <laughs> metal, not hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you still are directly attached to it. I just find it so interesting that there's always been that dividing line. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where like, like straight up, like I could tell you, uh, just from experience and having been to these shows and seeing these kids still at shows. Um, most of the kids that I would say are like, at least all the kids I recognize that are in the hardcore scene now, I used to see them 10 years ago at like the local, like church metalcore shows and shit like that. And like, sure. and most of them were deathcore kids that turned into whatever and whatever. There's not very many people I know that like they found hardcore first. I feel like that's the odds of that are pretty slim anyway. Um, at least in like nowadays, um, new kids at least. Um, but I mean, it's funny how you say that. Cause like to a kid, that's a, like an obvious metalcore kid. We're the heaviest band in the world. We're like the heaviest hardcore band in the world. <laughs> right. And then to a, to a hardcore kid, we're just like a decently heavy mo- a metalcore kid or metalcore band. Right. And then there's also this, uh, like for, um, for a couple years, I booked, uh, sound and fury, the festival out here. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. It's like basically from 2011 to 2014, but it was really interesting because like me and my business partner, we would, we were always the kids that kind of traveled in like, you know, for, for lack of a better term, we were always hardcore kids, you know, like that's who we were, yeah. but we listened to hardcore of all different strains you know we liked you know bane and half heart but then we also liked you know whatever the ghost inside and stuff like that yeah but, i love the ghost inside man yeah that, that's like that's like one of those metalcore hardcore bands that like I, w- I wouldn't at this point i would just call them melodic hardcore yeah totally. Um, but but they totally will always get a pass i feel like from 90 percent of people because that band just always kicked ass absolutely absolutely but i the the point i was trying to make is the fact that we would always have these really interesting discussions of like the um you know sort of traditional hardcore scene like if they would accept a band you know that was you know a little bit outside of what their comfort zone was and like there was just always times where we threw bands on the bill where we were just like i mean i remember i think like 2011 2012 and this is maybe a bad example but like you know we put deaf heaven on there and that was like oh but that and but kids could could care less about them this was like you know before sunbather it was like rose of judah had just come out but it was but like you know today if you guys were to play sound and fury, you know, there would be this real dividing line where it's like a lot of kids would of course be stoked on it and interested in it. But then there would be, it doesn't even have to be necessarily like old kids that would be like, Oh, Varel sucks or whatever. But like, there would be this distinct audience of like, I don't know. Like we don't like this band. We're not going to watch them or whatever. Oh yeah, for sure. Like that's been one, probably if not the biggest challenge, one of them, uh, for my band, because we've always struggled in the production department. Um, up until uh, this like brand new release, I would say like uh-huh. this is exactly what we wanted to sound like from the get go, and we finally achieved it. Okay, um, and it, we've also always been that band that's like, like all right, none of us like when you look at us, we don't traditionally look like hardcore kids. We just look like, like I don't know, like 
party kids, I guess. I don't know. We just don't. We just. <laughs> sure. I, I don't know. We just look like I don't know. We're like skinny, freaking pretty boy, like party kids. Sure. And then we go up and we play, and we're nine thousand times better than we are on record. And then kids see it live and immediately are like, "Oh, Rockabilia is the place that you need to go to buy all of your band merch." And you can use the code PC100Words, that's the number 100, and you get 15% off your order. You hear me day in and day out espouse the praises of Rockabilia. And I am not just saying it just because, you know, they're paying me money for this advertisement. I swear from the bottom of my heart, this company is the real deal. They have half a million items. So many things you can possibly think of in regards to what you can purchase, you know, for your friends, family, for yourself. Just go ahead and, you know, drop tons of money on yourself because we all need to be clothed by the coolest band merch around. They have fast shipping, amazing customer service, independently owned, punk and hardcore kids work for them. I, I really can't list all of the things that make me love this company more, um, even though I just did. So <laughs> you, you heard it here first. <laughs> but like I said, Rockabilia is just a legitimate company, has so many things that you could possibly want. They even have action figures, you know? They've got, they're, they're a veritable one-stop shop for anything band merch related. So please go to rockabilia.com, use the code PC100Words, and you will be satisfied, Okay. Now here's the rest of the show. And I think that that was always the thought process that I had as well, where it's like certain, especially when you cut down to the core of all of us being attracted to, you know, heavy music or weird subcultures is like, you know, everybody does their own thing as far as their artistic expression is concerned. And if you were to talk to, you know, whatever, like me as a 39 year old and you as a whatever, I'm going to presume you're in your... (laughs) <laughs> 26. Okay. I was going to say, I was going to presume you're in your mid twenties and then like, you know, yeah. pushing it further back to where it's like, I'm sure if, you know, me and you and a 17 year old hardcore kid were in the same room, like we would talk about stuff and we would be, have relatively the same experiences, but people draw these, oh, yeah. these weird lines of like, Oh no, like this band shouldn't cross over into this. And it's like, why? <laughs> Dude, literally like, I feel like I have this con- like that conversation almost every day on tour where like there's always some new kid because i love to ask when we're playing like if you've heard of us like raise your hands if it's your first time raise your hands and like after i do that like towards the end of the show there's always like a a couple of kids that come up to me and it's like their first time ever hearing of us and seeing us seeing us and they're like wow man like like that was like the you guys were like the heaviest band like i've ever seen or like like i'm like they'll either say that or they'll come up to me and they'll be like yeah man like I'm brand new into hardcore. Like what bands would you recommend to me? And I'm like, well, would you consider us hardcore? And that's when I'm able to immediately discern like what that kid's roots are based on their answer. Like, because either they go, Oh yeah, you guys are definitely hardcore. And I go, okay, well what other hardcore bands do you listen to? And then they'll go, Oh, like of mice and men. And like, like, uh, like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. So you need to listen to X, Y, and Z because they are way heavier than us and way more hardcore. Uh, or they'll be like, oh, yeah, man, like, uh, I'm, I'm like, like, you guys are like one of the heaviest metalcore bands like I've ever seen. And that right there gives me way larger of an indication as to the fact that, like, they have understood metalcore, they've understood hardcore, they have a bit more insight into, like, the subgenres and shit like that. But what you said at the same or earlier, where you're like, we're all just pretty much attracted to heavy music. Like, I feel like that's pretty much what it's taken 
in the live aspect to win the kids over. Like there are so many kids, especially nowadays that like LP2 is out. We've done like better, better tours and shit like that. There's been tons of kids that I've seen like that wouldn't show any love or were like too cool to, to pretend to give a crap. And then you see them when we come to their city and they're popping off and it's like, ah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. We're doing, we must be doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> and, literally. But, and, and it's cool that you're actually, you know, uh, cause I don't think, I mean, I, I'm recalling when I was younger, I don't think I would ever go up to a band member to like ask them other bands to listen to like, you know, I'm whatever I would ask like a record store clerk or something like that. So, and obviously because record stores are not as pervasive, you know, are pervasive as they used to be. So, yeah. but, that's, but that's cool that kids are coming up to you and asking that, you know, really specific question and you're able to kind of, you know, discern Dude, and I'm- recommend. I'm not even going to lie. Like we have been a gateway gateway band for so many kids. That's like, great. So many kids. And like, they'll come up and like, my favorite is when they say we're the heaviest thing that they've ever heard of. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> what do you listen to? <laughs> yeah. Let me, let, let me just blow your mind real quick. Yeah. yeah I'm like, dude, I'm going to make you a playlist that'll change your life. Like, <laughs> No, that's, re- that's, it's, that's really, really cool. Um, we'll, we'll pull in some of those other threads that we were talking about there, but I would kind of want to focus on you. Um, mm-hmm. like you said, you were the old, the oldest of, you have five other siblings or six other siblings. Uh, I have three brothers and three sisters. Uh, two of them are steps. So I have four blood, bro- or four blood siblings and two half siblings, which would make me technically the oldest of seven. That's a lot. Yeah, man. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, how, I guess, how old were you when your, uh, parents split and like, were you kind of born and raised in the Philly area or did you come up somewhere else? Uh, so Parents split when I was two. Um, my father is a hundred and fifty thousand percent uh rooted in hip hop and hip hop for the most part only. Okay. Um my stepdad is the one I was telling you about that would like when it was like just me and him in the car, we would bump like rage and system of a down. Okay. Um I moved around a lot with my mom from the like all around the tri-state area from ages like two to like Eight, I guess probably moved around like 10 to 15 times uh, and then settled a little bit outside of the city from like eight to 17 and then moved into the city, uh, moved out of the city, moved into the city again when I was like 21. Um, so, I mean, I've always been based in the city and the city has always been like, oh, I'm, si- I'm 15, 16 years old and no one has anything to do for the next four days because it's a four day weekend guess we're going to the city you know what i mean like it was always that was always like the playground sure sure yeah yeah pop it pop it into the uh the city from the suburbs because i think that's oh yeah i mean that's uh I, I have a lot of experience with philly just like the bands that my band would tour with like you know the dudes in this day forward and like all Ooh. that all but all of them like it was interesting because you uh, like all else failed oh dude I, I signed that band when I worked at Century Media Records and they are, uh, they're the coolest man. Yeah. Pat. Yeah. Such a good band. I, I literally appreciate that band so much, (laughs) like so much. Completely, completely looked over in so many respects, but people that get them are just like, Oh, like this is like, this is real aggression. It's like, yeah, dude, it's, it's insane. Cause they're like, they're, you wouldn't consider them a hardcore band. I mean, a hundred percent really, but like, yeah, I don't know. They're like, they, they yeah. just, they're, they're consisted of that lifestyle. So I guess, I guess it, it works. Actually, you, you know what? Not to sidetrack you again one time, please, but, please. Uh, 
uh, one time, this is the first time I ever met Joe Hardcore. Okay. And we're we're playing a show for him with Cruel Hand uh, in Philly uh, in like 2017. It's like the first time we met met him. Um, and I like walk over, introduce myself. I'm like, yo, nice to meet you, man. Been meaning to like say what's up for a while. And then we start talking about varials. And he's like, so what do you guys consider yourselves? And I was like, ah, we're just a metalcore band. So, you know, hopefully the show tonight will go over well. And he's like, metalcore? You guys are a hardcore band. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, you guys got two steps? I was like, yeah. And he was like, you scream? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you guys got mosh parts? And I was like, yeah, man. And he was like, all right, so you guys are a hardcore band. And I was like, dude. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hell yeah. All right, I get it. I was like, you know what? If you said it, then I'll take it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. No, that's re- uh, that's really, really cool. Um, it's just funny because like when you really, really break it down, like I, at the basic level, is it a hard... I still think metalcore is the correct term because isn't metalcore, it's just metal mixed with hardcore. Yeah, of course. It's it's the when you are taking sort of the technical aspects of metal in regards to like, oh, you have, you know, not technical solos per se, but like you have that mixed with the sort of heaviness and the ethic of hardcore. That's the, you know, the birth of it as, as it were, you know, it was coined in the mid nineties or whatever. See, I think so as well. I feel like a lot of the, like, even now there's a lot of bands that I wouldn't consider hardcore, but the ethic and the, like the, the grind that these bands, uh, I guess use and, and, uh, execute, I guess I would definitely clarify them hardcore, uh, yeah. hardcore through that. Like Jesus piece, for example, that to me is totally a metalcore band. It's just a really hard ass metalcore band. Right. Uh, um, right. But, but they operate as such a hardcore, uh, level, like the, mm-hmm. I guess the integrity behind it and the ethic and all that kind of stuff. Well, and it, so, it, I mean, it, it's like, also, it's like also kind of to find it nowadays too. Yeah. And it's also kind of the scene that you initially play to as well, where it's like there, especially too, once there became more options for, you know, hardcore bands, like whatever in the early two thousands, when bands started to, you know, hardcore bands started to be able to play warp tour. Like, you know, I remember, oh, when, yeah. it's like, I remember when poison the well got on warp tour, that was like a huge thing. It was like, what the heck? That's crazy. And yeah, then, man. But and so to your point, it's like, you know, varials like you guys were able to play to, you know, for lack of a better term, like more warp Tour crowds, whereas like Jesus Peace obviously leaned more into the the quote unquote traditional hardcore scene. And so it's like those are the scenes that you get uh, sort of immediately attached to, even though to your point, sonically, there isn't much difference between you, Jesus Peace and varials, you know? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny, too, because when we're, when we were coming up in the city, it wasn't strictly one like when we were when we were like playing the city all the time and just trying to build up the local reputation. It was never a hundred percent metalcore kids or a hundred percent hardcore kids. It sure. was always a 50, 50 blend. Like some kids that like, like literally 50% of those kids, I would never see at anyone else's shows that were metalcore bands. And I would only see them at hardcore shows unless variables was playing. And then the metalcore kids, I would see them at every metalcore show, but I would only see 50% of them when variables was playing. You know what I mean? Like, Yep. It, it was strange, too, because, like, when we were coming up, uh, like, I remember our first EP release show. Um, it's one of the most violent shows I've ever been to in my life. And it was, like, strictly because there was probably, like, 70% hardcore kids there and, like, 30% metalcore kids. And, like, I don't know. We had that in-between rep, like, since day one, which has kind of been a huge bitch, to be honest. But it is what it is. 
It totally, the, yeah. It's it's not something that you know you control per se. You control based on the decisions that you have from a business perspective, where it's like, okay, we're going to sign with this label, like we're going to do this, like. But oh, that was another. That was another fucking bitch right there, brother. <laughs> I could. I could. Being, being I, the heavy ass underground Philly band that like we just show up and fuck shit up, and then we signed to Fearless, and our first <laughs> tour on Fearless is with Wage War, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. I love that. I Dude, love that. it was a it was a lot for me to handle. What, what do you mean? I mean, oh, I, I understand man. what you mean, but walk me through it. Bro, we got the <laughs> All right. So first off, like we get we get the email from Fearless and we're like, what? Like fear, fearless, as in like plain white tees, August Burns red fearless. Right. And we're like, yeah, apparently so. And we're like, okay, sure. We'll, we'll definitely entertain this. Cause this is pretty crazy. Yep. Um, the, the, one of the reps said he was going to come out and catch one of our sets on, uh, this small little run that we were doing. Uh, we played the show in Massachusetts palladium show was a bloodbath. And we get off the stage, we're outside smoking cigs, and I'm talking to my drummer, Sean, who's talking to some random dude. And I walk over and I'm like, hey, man, not to interrupt you real quick, Sean, but do you happen to know if that dude from Fearless came? And Sean's just like, oh, no, man, I don't think he came. And I'm like, damn, that sucks. And then the random guy that Sean was talking to happened to be the rep. And he's like, oh, that's that's me, guys. Like, I'm I'm the rep from the label. Uh, and we were like, oh, shit, what's up, man? <laughs> and he was just like, yeah, the, the shit was great. Consider you guys signed. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Wow. <laughs> um, and yeah, dude, so it worked out like very weird and strange. We didn't even like, like we had pressure on ourselves before the set. And then when we real, like when we thought he just wasn't coming, we were like, fuck it. We're just going to go beast mode and do what we usually do. And wow. then afterwards we realized he was there and we were like, okay, sick. I guess it worked out. But we get the fearless, the fearless deal. We get the offer for our first tour after we announce the signing, and it's with Wage War. And I had never heard of that band once in my entire life uh, up until getting that email. And I do one YouTube search, and I see they have like a couple million plays on this one video. So I watch it, and I don't even think I made it like thirty seconds deep. I was like, dude. We can't do this. I was like, we just can't. <laughs> sure, like, sure. Immediately, I was like, we cannot do this. Like, we're gonna lose all of the hardcore cred and all of the fucking blah 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 cred. Like, they're gonna be like, damn, Burials signs to one label that as the heaviest band and immediately does like a super light metalcore tour. And thank God I listened because the label and the agents and everyone were like, dude, you don't understand this band is blowing up. Like it's only going to do good for you guys, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I was like, you know what? Fine. As long as we can get like some hard ass tours coming up after this, I'm fine with it. And day one of that tour, uh, I watched every single band and I was like, wow, I'm so glad that I chose to do this because this band is the fucking truth. And it that changed, it changed your whole perspective. Yeah, that was probably the moment that I was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't give a shit who we play to because as long as there are people that give a shit, that's what I care about. And it was just like a huge eye-opening experience. That's awesome. That's really cool because it, it, it's 
especially too, where it's like, you know, having these sort of reflective conversations on, you know, decisions bands make and stuff like that, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, a touring perspective, like, you know, I'm sure you've heard so many of your peers and so many bands that, you know, came before you that said no to these tours or whatever, based on those similar uh, thought processes of what you're having where it's just like oh dude like you know it, this is gonna look bad for us or like you know our our true fans are gonna hate us or whatever um and then you most of the time they're like you, th- those decisions are wrong if especially if they say no to a tour or whatever um, oh yeah and, and then you're just like oh yeah like we are playing in front of you know a larger audience or whatever but you like you said to your point it's like oh you, like as long as there's people here that care about what we're doing like that's exciting uh, do you know the band Chamber? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so those are some of my best friends in the world. Okay. Um, and we did one of their first, like, bigger tours with them. Um, actually, it wasn't even, like, a bigger tour. We've done, like, three tours with them over the last, like, year and a half. And I had this conversation with their guitar player, Gabe, who is, like, a huge hand in writing a lot of their early stuff. Um and I could tell that, like, the pressure of being on a metalcore tour was getting to him. So I walked up to him, and and they played an amazing set. And, like, it was obvious that everybody in the room was, like, so impressed by this band that sounds like a freaking musical Rubik's Cube. And they're, like, like Gabe just didn't look happy about it. So I walked up, and I was like, yo, man, like, you guys killed it. And he was like, ah, see, I just, I don't, I don't know. Like, did we? And I was like, dude. This is the lesson that I wish somebody told me when I started touring with light bands. And I'm going to tell it to you. Like when you're touring to hardcore or when you're playing in front of hardcore kids, the obvious takeaway, if they like it is what they mosh, they go crazy, they hit people. And it's evident that they enjoy the music. Metalcore kids, they need, they need to soak it in first. They need to soak it in. And if you see them just, you know, watching attentively or maybe even a head bob, for a first time playing for them, that's as good as that's as good as uh, a hardcore kid moshing the first time you see them. And next time, and then like the time after that, we toured with them. More metalcore kids were moshing and popping off. And this last time we toured with them, all the metalcore kids were moshing and popping off. And it's just like it's so funny to see uh, younger bands have that same perspective that I had when we first started touring with lighter bands. Yeah, and realizing that like just because this is the way the game is doesn't mean they don't like it. You're just playing a different game at this point. Sure. Yeah. You're playing to a different audience. Yeah, man. Um, as you, uh, so, you know, kind of, uh, reflecting back on, on you, uh, mm-hmm. where you were, you know, as you started to kind of grow up in the city and like you said, you know, basically I presume that's obviously where you were having a lot of your, your first show experiences and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Um, I'm going to also presume that you played in bands before Varials, correct? Or is Varials your first band? Uh, so I was in, I've actually been in a lot of bands. Not a lot of them played shows. Like a lot of them recorded and released music, but not a lot of them played shows. Um, oh, okay. I was in one like down tempo band playing guitar uh, for like, probably like six months before Varials. And then when I was like 16, um, so just a, a, a quick summary of my years uh, from like 14 to like 15, 16, I was singing for this one band 
called Day of Ruin, which is the worst band name ever. Well, I, then, I, it's, I disagree with you because I know exactly what it sounds like. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I, you know. All right. So there you go. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> you already understand what it sounds like. And, um, and that's when if you have a band name for your, like your first or second band that doesn't like I'll tell the name of my first band was called Doom Society. What did we oh, sound like? Go. Like, dude, it's the best. Like, I love, I love first band names so much. Anyways, but yes, yeah, so I love. They're it. so funny. Um, <laughs> and like my my local band used to play with like, like everybody in my in burials, like old local bands and shit as well, from like fourteen to sixteen. So we all like sort of knew who each other were and shit. Um, I used to rag on Sean, the drummer of my band back then, and be like, "You suck acid drums." <laughs> Uh, because he did, dude. He was so bad at drums back then. I love it. And then uh, I stopped going to shows from like probably like 17 to 19 for like almost two years. I just stopped going to shows. And was there any the reason? Re- I was huh? gonna say, was there any reason? Um, I, I don't know necessarily. It was probably because I was just being a shithead and was grounded or was like just not allowed to leave my house or was too broke to go to a show. Okay. Um, so there was probably a culmination of things. Um, but the only reason I started going back to shows to give you the honest truth was because, uh, there was a friend of mine who really wanted to go see villains. Um, and they were playing outside of Philly. So I went to go see them and I see that varials is playing and I'm like varials. Who the hell is this band? Uh, so I listened to it on Bandcamp. I'm like, oh, this shit's sick. It should be dope. So I'm like, I want to make sure we catch them. Uh, we go to the show, I'm standing up front, waiting for Varials to play. And then I see like Sean and James from like old local band days, like setting up. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then they play. And I was like, holy shit, this band kicks fucking ass. And like that, like literally watching Varials set in probably like 2000 and probably like 13 maybe 14 was like the reason that i started going back to shows and then like every single time they would play like i, I won't even lie dude like before i was in varials the local scene was dead it yeah. was it was dead before like pre-travis varials came around and then pre-travis varials came came out and pretty much restored like the heavy metalcore mosh shit back to the city and then uh had to kick the dude out um I joined, but like, I don't know. I just think it's funny when I look back at like how that shit worked out just because I don't know. Yeah. Well, like it's, I, full, I, well it's full circle that the, the, you watching, you know, people who you shared the stage with previously doing something cool like that, that, that is inspirational where you're like, Oh, Hey, like I, I remember I like going to shows and like, I would yeah, like to play dude. in a band again. That's cool. Straight up. Like saw, saw them uh, and I was like, fuck this. I'm starting a band. Uh, had no luck starting one. And then I found this band that was looking for a guitarist. So I joined them, uh, play a couple shows with burials. Uh, and at that point, probably towards like the end of me being in my last band, uh, I would say us and burials were pretty like neck and neck as far as like local pull. Cause we were just a little bit heavier. Um, they were, uh, burials at that point still sounded like barrier from Chicago. Okay. Um, if you know that band, they kind of had that thing going on back then. And we were more like, I don't know, like a lot of the slow elements and varials that are still hard, uh, I would say my my last band retained. So I feel like that's why we were kind of neck and neck. Um, and then there came a moment where varials asked me to go on tour with them as the merch guy. Um, so I take that tour. It's only like a week long. And 
the vocalist is like a huge dickhead to everyone the entire time. Um, I'm going up and doing like this guest spot for this one song every night. And every single night that I do it, a uh, bunch of the kids in the other bands, actually it was this band called Currents, uh, like a prog band. Um, they, they kept coming up to me and being like, bro, why don't you just be the vocalist? You're better than that kid. And he's fucking such a dickhead anyway. And I was like, I don't know if it works that way, bro. Yeah. I can't just volunteer my services. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if I could just ask them if they want me to do it. (laughs) And then, um, lo and behold, like a week after we get home from that tour, it's Thanksgiving day, 2014. And I get a text from Sean being like, yo, would you want to be the new singer of varials? And I was like, this is the best Thanksgiving ever. <laughs> yes, I would love to be the new singer of Ariel's. Um, draw straws out of a hat to see who has to kick out old boy. And then uh, I join. And then from that moment on, uh, like I said, because I played guitar, it was just like, all right, I'm going to come over to James's crib and I'm going to write some some guitar tracks. And then we're going to try and do vocals over them and make a new EP and just get it rolling. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to presume that because you were so... Um you know, focus on, on music and playing in bands and just being, you know, a contributor to the scene. Um, like, did you care about school? Did you have any sort of like, you know, life path vision of like, Oh, I want to be, you know, an English teacher or something like that. Oh no. And I actually say this all the time. If I could have dropped out of, cause I dropped out of high school, um, and got my GED. Okay. I was going to say, I was like, I'm, I'm going to be a total dad. If you didn't get your GED, dude, I'm going to be oh, like, no, I did. Travis. I did. And it, only, it only took me like three days too, which was the funny part. <laughs> like it was, it was so painfully easy, man. I went in and I took tests and I aced them all. And I was like, cool. That was way less stressful and annoying than I thought it was going to be. Sure. But once I realized that, uh, I actually, it actually made me really, really annoyed because had I been able like, All right. So for an athlete, like if you want to become an Olympic athlete, you got to train from basically the day you make the decision at the age of like 13, 14, you got to condition yourself and train and practice and get your skills up, stamina and all that. So that when the age comes and the right time comes, you are ready for the moment. Uh, If I could have left school at say ninth grade and just focused all of my time on my musical skills and guitar, piano, vocals, uh, production, anything just throughout that entire time, I feel like I would be a couple of years ahead of where I am right now. So to be honest, like I, I always knew I wanted to do music, but you know, you can't just tell your parents at age 14 that you don't want to go to school anymore. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and especially too, like, I, I don't, uh, I don't care how much your parents are into music or are tangentially aware of what shows are and stuff like that. It's, uh, yeah. you know, that, that, that's a, that's a tough, tough road to hoe for parents to be like, what do you mean you're going to join a hardcore band? Like that doesn't. Oh sense. yeah. And like, here's the thing. My mom always was always so supportive of me wanting to be a musician. She was always so supportive. She bought me my first guitar. She bought me my first drum set, my first keyboard, always wanted to hear what I was working on when I was working on shit by myself in my room. Like, um, was very, very much so into music and was very supportive of it. But, you know, like parents, they want to be protective. They want to make sure that you can have a future outside of it if it doesn't work, because most of the time it doesn't. And, you know, that kind of stuff. But like when my mom saw how Varials like detraction, like and the fact that it was real and I would say uh, it really clicked. Like when we got the offer for Fearless, my mom was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Or like. 
like she knew the she knew that it was a great thing but i don't think she's she still had like a physical proof like she didn't have any pictures of like us playing to a thousand kids or like any videos of people singing the words or anything but i would say like after that first wage war tour where it was like 29 sold out shows in a row i would say that was when my mom was like oh you guys can make money money and like do this and like actually be okay and then i I would say after that moment like a flip switch for my mom and my mom was like oh yeah you probably should have started doing this earlier (laughs) (laughs) sure 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 um and so you know i I, like it like you mentioned as things started to kind of like you know feel more real and you started to get tours and like all of these these business opportunities started to kind of come up with the band um you know, we're like, are you comfortable with the business side of things? Do you just like kind of accept it for what it is? Um, you know, where does your, your, your mind kind of go when I mention that? Oh, dude. Um, well, <laughs> I'm that dude that always asks why. Okay. <laughs> and if the answer isn't good enough, then I'm going to ask, okay, so why is that a thing? <laughs> like I am very hard headed, and it's not that I need everything to be broken down to me in every single step, but like you always hear that, like what's the, one of the most common sayings about the music industry is it's full of snakes and everyone's here just to take a percentage and everyone's here to fuck you over and blah, 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 blah. Um, I never truly saw that a hundred percent where people were just out here to fuck us over and take percentages. But I was able to see a lot of people that, had a job for us that would do the absolute bare minimum so they wouldn't get fired. And that was the extent to which they were willing to go. So I had a long, a long list of grievances with, uh, fearless, uh, with management. Um, there, there was just lots of, of, uh, tug and pull on both sides where it was when it came to business decisions, tours. Um, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, like you have to, you have to, cause here's the thing. Like I want, I want the vision to stay exactly the way it is from the beginning. I just want to watch it evolve. But when it comes to, and I can't like discredit fearless records for this because it's true. Fearless has never had a band like Varials before. Like they've they've never had a metalcore, hardcore, super heavy mosh band like us ever. Um, and with that, they're going to be brand new in how to uh, develop and build this band. It's just a world they've never stepped their feet into before. So they and and that's not their fault. It's just experience. But they, you know, in the beginning they would offer us things that I don't think in a thousand years we would take. And we would just have to be like, look, like, that's not the band that we are. Like, we would like to be this kind of band. And we and if we were able to get, say, as famous as you think we can get with 10,000 kids coming to all of our shows every night, then we want to get there this way. Like, and I don't know, man, like when it comes to the business side, like. Now, in 2019, do I trust everyone that we have working for us? Yes. Um, how long did it take us to get there? The beginning of this year. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Like fearless absorbed razor and tie, I believe. Yeah. Um, and with that, they did a lot of house cleaning and we got like a pretty much a brand new team and the brand new team that we got for album cycle two, 
uh, is exactly what we should have had for album cycle one, where it was full of people that cared and full of people that almost wanted it more badly than we did, which is exactly what we needed. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not super heavily involved where I have to sit there and follow every single step. Um, but I would like, as far as involvement goes, uh, I would say I tend to come up with a lot of like plans and tend to, you know, just make sure that everybody's on it and, Got I don't it. know. No, I no. Just want people to care as much as I do. Yeah, for sure. Well, I just I always I notice that. I mean, people presume that the singer of a band is the you know the the person who has handled a lot of the business just for whatever reason because it's like oh they're you know the most uh, vocal they're you know they're the ones at the center of the stage or whatever and so and most some, of the time for us it's actually our bass player just because he's like pretty business savvy like he handles most of the emails and a lot of like the ordering and stuff like he handles all the merch where it comes to like ordering. Uh, he also designed some of it. And then when it comes to like uh, tour offers or like anything else that like the label or management or agents would like need from us, like he's usually the one to respond and then he'll hit us in the group chat. Or if it's something obviously serious enough, then our manager will just hit us all at the same time. But like, yeah. obviously, as a singer, yeah, a lot of people think that, but no, not not particularly. <laughs> yeah, you're like, not, <laughs> not, yeah, not, not, not my area of strength from that perspective. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Um, something I also find interesting too, with, um, you know, I mean, the evolution of, of all these, uh, music scenes over time, um, over the, especially over the past, uh, I'd say three to five years, uh, especially within the context of, you know, metalcore, hardcore or whatever, um, the intersection of, you know, kind of, uh, lifestyle slash, uh, you know, hip hop culture, streetwear, all that stuff has really, really, really cemented itself within the scene to where, um, you know, bands like you guys and then whatever, a band like Counterparts obviously has a very distinct vision of how they want their merch to look like. And, um, you know, Hundredth is another example, even though obviously they don't sound like what they used to. Um, yeah. You know, how how does that kind of inform the way that you guys view? Because, you know, a lot of people automatically, not automatically, but look at varials and are like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of like, you know hip-hop influence where it's like oh yeah we talk about money all the time like metalcore money like, you know because i'm sure I, I, but you know what i'm saying right like the, <laughs> yeah i've just never heard it worded like that before yeah, yeah well that's good that's good um 
but yeah, so I mean, I'm sure that you, I mean, you guys are clearly aware of that. And like, while I'm sure some of it is very, you know, tongue in cheek, like we're obviously just joking, um, you know, yeah. they're, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> but clear, clearly there's an influence that's coming from somewhere. So I don't know. I, I, I might be reading too much into it, but you know, nah, I would say you hit the, you hit the nail on the head with that one, man. Like, um, a lot of it is like, it's, it's not as intentional as people think it is. Well, let me, let me at least say that. Like, when it comes to all right so the five of us we like looking good <laughs> i'm just gonna keep it that simple like <laughs> sure. like we do we we very much so like we're not like heavily heavily into fashion like we're not like looking up the newest trends or anything like that but like we all very much so like to look fresh and whether that comes from like uh streetwear fashion brands or like vintage stuff or uh, we were watching a, a 90s VHS doc on Oasis and saw what they were wearing and we liked it a lot. Like it could come from anywhere. Um, I would say most of the hip hop shit is totally subconscious though. Like we, we all listen to hip hop probably and not even probably definitely more than we listen to heavy music at this point. Um, so I feel like any of that bleeding through at this point is probably just like because it's natural, what you're consuming, right? Yeah, it's just it just that's what we're consuming. Like it comes out of us uh, subconsciously. Um, it is funny though because when when I joined the band, I was like the only one that was rooted in hip hop and like cared about it that much, and not not really like like I know Mitch didn't get into it until literally like 2018. He just didn't like rap at all, and then. Um, Mike's always been like here or there, but he was more like the classics with like 50 Cent and shit like that. Um, same thing with Sean, where Sean, Sean and James were always like, like their best like hip hop shit from back in the day is like Return of the Mac, like where it's more like R&B type shit. Sure. Um, so when I joined the band, I was the dude that was like, yo, y'all listen to this new freaking uh, like uh, Flatbush Zombies mixtape. And they're like, what? <laughs> And I'm like, yo, bump that shit. Like, yeah, this is really good. You, you yeah. guys, you guys heard of Schoolboy Q? Check it out. Yo, literally, that's what I'm saying. Like, um, but now, now that like, like it's funny too because we bled into hip hop a lot, and like, if you look at hip hop now, hip hop's bleeding into rock a lot. So, I mean, I feel like the worlds were bound to cross over eventually. And plus, like, even from like a fashion standpoint, which I rarely ever think through, um. Any time that I've ever been at a show and I've seen somebody that I've wanted to introduce myself to and I was like just very interested and attracted to that person, um, it's always been at a hardcore show where a person looks like they come from a hip hop background. And I've always just, I don't know, it's always just been like, that is such an interesting thing to me. And I, and I, and I don't know, maybe it's because there just wasn't many of them when I was growing up and I was definitely in that boat. But like, there's tons of people I've met through hardcore where like, like I was just telling this story to my girlfriend a couple of days ago. Uh, there's this kid Ty, uh, who lives in Texas now. Uh, he lived in Philly for the last like four or five years. Um, we we're at a Twitching Tongues show at Voltage Lounge, and this t- tall ass dude with braids comes in, and he's wearing a red windbreaker, and he walks in. No one's seen him before. Hops into the pit during Twitching Tongues, and he just fucks all of us up, like all of us. And he, he's, like, fresh to death wearing, like, a vintage polo, like, red blazer. And, like, 
Jordan's on and he's just going in and we're just like, like we're all getting our asses kicked. And then end of the show, we're all outside. I'm like, yo, who the fuck are you, bro? Like, where the fuck did you come from? And I feel like him in that moment expressing himself through like hardcore, but obviously visually expressing himself through the world that he came up in is a big like like maybe not the same exact level or the same exact kind of expression that Varials is trying to achieve. But I mean, I feel like it's pretty similar when you when you look down at it, because I mean, I feel like a lot of the times like I'll wear like a big puffy jacket with like a big ass beanie on and like, I don't know, I'll wear like uh, Yeezys at the same time. So it's like I, it looks like I obviously am more involved in hip hop culture just based on what I'm wearing. But then I get up there and I scream seven hardcore metalcore songs in a row. And like, I don't know, people are, I don't know, like, it's going to sound corny to say, but when it really comes down to like the bottom of things, when it comes to that kind of shit, like everyone is tired of bands being the same. Everyone's tired of bands doing the same shit. And like, if I were to say, oh, rap influenced metalcore band, what are you going to think? You're going to think Attila where he's going, or he's going to be like actually rapping over like a hardcore uh, song and it's like no one wants to fucking hear that shit and I don't know like same thing with merch like dude the only reason and I, I guarantee you this the only reason that Varials merch is so specific and so the way it is is because all the bands growing up had the worst merch ever like the worst merch like merch with, like kittens on it merch with fucking yeah, an neon. alien with a pot leaf spaceship yeah like, <laughs> That's what sure. I'm saying. Like, just dumb shit. And it's like, dude, well, like, it was manufactured. who was going to wear that? Yeah, like, well, it was manufactured for the time. Like, you know, there yeah. are, it's like, <laughs> you can look at certain merch and be like, oh, yeah, that was made in 2006. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. But then if you go back and you look at merch made in, like, 2000, then you're like, oh, shit. Like, counterparts had a poison the well rip yeah. uh, at their table, <laughs> totally. all private room, too. And I wore that shit like 75% of the days because it was so sick. Yeah. Shirts from like 01. Yeah. Well, t- because they're they're at that time, no one had any vision beyond, uh, you know, what just like what, what looked cool at that particular, uh, not what looked cool at that particular moment, but people were just manufacturing shirts because it was like, oh, yes, like, you know, this, the, I, I got to have a live picture on the back or like, you know, album art or whatever. But then- yep. No one was thinking about it in terms of like what would um, sell. Well, I mean that's not no, that's not entirely true. I was to say, but people just, were just, just wor- something that's like got a little bit more longevity to yes, it. Yes, exactly. Right. It wasn't so attached to a particular like you weren't hitting a trend in this particular scene, you know, from neon or whatever. Um, even though everything is cyclical, so like neon will come back in another couple of years or whatever. And then oh, bro, we just we just did a whole neon line like six months ago, and it already <laughs> came back and sold out. Brother. There you go, dude. Yeah, exactly. It's already here. <laughs> no, but that's that's really really funny. But I mean, I think to your point in regards to i mean hip-hop and you know punk have always intersected with one another because obviously it came they both came from skate culture where that is what predominantly skaters were listening to as they were filming their videos they were either listening to punk or you know hip-hop and yeah all you're doing you know is is kind of doing the sort of full circle nature of it where it's just like Oh, yes. Like these are both, um, you know, even though both genres are, you know, now arguably more popular than they ever have been, especially with hip hop. But oh, yeah, <laughs> but 
the notion is that you know the, the the both of these scenes have coexisted with one another because they've always been you know subversive they've always been you know weird to most people um it, you know i mean hip hop obviously is you know is mainstream and people can listen to it and not be afraid of it like they were in the 90s or whatever oh yeah dude <laughs> but uh but yeah but yeah no i totally understand what you're saying where it's like and i think you can also just get more like I feel like you could apply this to our new record. Like, uh, Pain Again has pretty much five sounds, which is two guitars, a bass, drums, and vocals through the entire thing. That's it. It's all traditionally metalcore instruments used in a traditionally metalcore way. And then you go to In Darkness, and you've got 38 different sounds that, you know, 33 of them don't come from metalcore or hardcore and they're all used in differing ways that you wouldn't be able to get if you were only trying to paint a hardcore picture. You know what I mean? Totally. And I feel like that's another reason as to why our new record is more successful than our last one is because like, like I said, dude, like all the biggest hip hop stars now are blending their uh, hip hop songs with rock songs and it's getting you different results. If you take different sums and you add, add them up from the differing parts, like, you're able to get a different reaction out of it. And I feel like that's that's just what, like yesterday, literally yesterday, I put up a tweet and I was like, I just need every band to try and be different. I don't need them to be 100% different. I just need them to try. Because like, dude, the, the, that, that tweet was, was uh, inspired by me spending an hour and a half on Spotify, desperately searching for a heavy band that I could care about. And I couldn't find one. Couldn't find one new heavy band that I didn't already know about sure. and already enjoy that I liked in an hour and a half span. Travis, you sound old. You sound old and jaded at twenty six, dog. Dude, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just insane, man. Like, yeah. Like straight up. Like, there, there's been tons of waves of bands, and it's cool because now that I can see where my band fits into these waves, I can see the waves that came before and came after, and like. I hate to say it, bro, but like, like I really feel like the wave that Varials came in would probably be like the, the left behind Jesus piece, knocked loose metalcore, uh, hardcore blend wave, and then now we're we're in. There's a there's like a group of like nine bands that I I won't name them, but I consider them all in the following wave, and I'm only not going to name them because what I'm going to say might sound rude, um, but there's a lot of bands that like I can see like just by the way they carry themselves and the way they're trying to, uh, I guess, make themselves appear that they're taking inspiration from our, from the wave that we were, I guess we would be grouped in, which is totally chill, which is totally fair, totally cool, totally, uh, appreciative and, and all that kind of shit, but they're not doing what like the four of those bands I mentioned, did to get that like sort of notoriety or uh attention i guess which is you know take what you got and twist it into something different like knock loose is different from left behind who is different from jesus peace who is different from varials but we all sort of fall into that heavy hardcore metalcore blended world of like you know just heavy ass bands and it, it would make sense if you were to see all four of us on the same lineup and i don't know like I just uh, like it to me, it just seems like there's only like, there's like a wave, like every couple of 
I don't know, every one way that every couple of them like actually has the balls to do something different. Like, thank God for Code Orange, bro. Like, <laughs> thank God for Code Orange, because Code Orange is like the only band that can convince hardcore kids to do something different. And that's all that Code Orange does is something different. So thank God for shit like that, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, it's a, every, you know, four to six years, there are bands that obviously, um, you know, make people view or not make people, but make younger kids view what they do differently with their own musical projects, you know, because all you're doing when you're starting bands between the ages of like 14 and 18 is just trying to rip off your favorite bands. Like, oh, you know? yeah, absolutely. And then it, it's only when you are ripping off your favorite bands, then you get introduced to another band. So then you add that influence into it. And then, yeah, then to your point, you start to be able to, you know, carve out your own uh, niche, whatever that may mean. Um, but yeah, no, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I just wish there was more of that, man. Like, Sure. Like the only band that I see out right now that is part of the the following wave that is truly on some like big brain shit is Loathe from the UK. Oh yeah, sure, sure. I know who you're talking about. Dude, that band is like the UK version of Code Orange, man. Like, yeah. They they are fucking outstanding. That them and Chamber, I'll put them in the same wave, even though Ch- Chamber hasn't fully bloomed yet. But, dude, those are like those are probably the only two bands that I see out now that I'm like, damn, y'all are so painfully you guys, and it's impossible to recreate, and I love it. Yeah, no, that's really really cool. Um, the la- the last thing I want to hit on was the um, you know the idea of touring because you know when you first start to tour and kind of go out you probably have one perception of it. And of course it's new and it's exciting and you're seeing all these cities and meeting all these new friends and stuff like that. Um, you know, has your relationship with tour changed now that, you know, it's such a big part of your life or, uh, you know, have you found different ways to enjoy it? Um, Hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. And no, tour, like the first time I left. For- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The first time I left for tour, it was obviously like going to Disney World. Um, like I was just super, super excited just to be going at all because I didn't really know what it entails. Like you didn't, you didn't realize, you don't realize that you go out and you're pretty much just hungry and smell like shit the entire time. Um, so that that was interesting to realize. And then, uh, like, don't get me wrong, tour is where like a lot of the most fun shit happens. Of course, because of at course. the end of the day, it's it's basically 30 dudes living together and hanging out every day for a month, right? which is pretty ridiculous when you put it that way, um, especially when you tour with counterparts and they have their own private bandwagon, then shit gets really rowdy and that becomes amazing. But like, I mean, like I have a girlfriend that I'm extremely serious about and I have a house and I have a dog and like, like that obviously sucks leaving behind. Um so the relationship with tour has changed a bit as to the point where like now that I'm growing up and shit, I have like a real life <laughs> that sure. is still there when I come home. Um, but I mean, tour is still fun. Like tour. I don't know. Like here's another thing that I don't think a lot of people realize, like screaming. Do you know how to do vocals, my bro? Oh yes. I sang for the bands that I played in. Yep. Oh, let's go. Okay. So yeah. you know that like, <laughs> you, you know that like, that shit takes a lot out of you. Yeah, it's tiring. It's it's very tiring. And like I've played different instruments in other bands, so I know how much how much energy those require. And like when I when we get done 
And like, if we do like a 10 day stretch in a row of shows playing 40 minutes a night, bro, I am ex- like beyond all- exhausted. Yeah, like, you're cooked. Beyond repair, like <laughs> just done, dude. Like I'm dead. And like, that's one thing that fucking pisses me off so much. Cause like some people that I know, uh, like Brendan from Counterparts, perfect example. For him, screaming probably takes no effort whatsoever. I just don't know how he does it. Like he just, it's effortless for him. And he can scream for 10 hours in a row if he really had to. And I got into this argument with him one time where I was like, bro, screaming sucks. Just as like a joke. I was like, that shit sucks. You're literally just yelling your freaking ass off and using every muscle in your body tightening and shit. Like that shit sucks. And Brendan goes, oh, wow. Travis has to do the easiest job in his band, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, bitch, have you ever played a guitar? <laughs> yeah, you, sounds like something he would say. Have you played a bass guitar? Do you know how easy that shit is? <laughs> oh, dude. I, I love... I, the corner... He, he doesn't play any instruments. I know. So he doesn't know. Yes. No, he, he doesn't. He doesn't know that he's just naturally gifted. <laughs> I like... I just... I think it's really funny because you're... Um, you know, the corner that you're staying on... Uh, or the corner that you're standing on. Like, you know, I'll, I'll go with you to a point. Like, you know, it, it, I mean, drumming is in exceptionally Oh, difficult. drumming is probably worse. Drumming yeah. is probably worse. <laughs> right. Drumming right. is the only thing that I'll give that is equal to and or worse than screaming. Sure, sure. And I mean, and I'll, <laughs> I'll agree with you on the, uh, you know, I mean, because c- clearly, obviously, vocalists have to, you know, be engaging and jump around or whatever. But then the uh it, my least favorite thing was always like recording vocals because like you would be sitting in the room you know pouring your heart out yelling into a microphone which is already a weird sterile environment and then you go back into the control room and everybody was like you know like you're like sweating and just like oh my god <laughs> you walk in and like everyone's like looking at their phones and their computers and you're like was that was that okay like because you're Dude. so in your head as soon as you said recording, I just started shaking my yeah. head. Just shaking my head. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst. Dude, it's so awful. It's so not great. It's not like it's sick when you hear it. Like it's only sick when you're screaming and you know you ripped it perfectly. <laughs> right. Which is rare. Which <laughs> I mean, is at least very, in my case. Very rare. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, nah, I, I I like don't get me wrong, I love it. It's definitely a, my favorite position to ever be in a band because it's so fun yeah but like a big part of our band is we have the rep of being so much better live than we are on record so obviously that means your boy's got to scream his head off right he's got to two-step his head off and he's got to stage mosh his ass off and he's got to be fucking running dude if i had like one of those fitbit things i guarantee you i'm running at least three miles a night on stage yeah at least for sure well when 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 you say uh you know when you say that your your band has a rep of being better live than on record like you know, there's always there's always going to be that relationship with you know bands live versus their recordings like you know it always kind of flips maybe it flips back and forth over their career or whatever but like who's telling you this like is it just like kids online saying that or is it like you know like fearless is like hey you guys are so much better live than you are on your record like who's saying <laughs> like who's saying this well, to you dude i hope it's not them saying it, but <laughs> okay <shit. laughs> nah man it's it's like i i feel confident enough saying that it's just it's it's just true it's something that i've been able to notice like there's there's no way that we have been able to win over so many hardcore kids as we have without being better than we are live. Because, okay. like, 
there's so like, dude, so many people that have been like, oh yeah, I don't like this. This isn't that good. And then they see us live and they're like, oh my God, how much are t-shirts, bro? Like, so, so I mean, at that, like I'm confident enough in the band to say that like, and plus the number one mantra that everyone in Varials has always had throughout all of our indifferent music or different musical ventures is that we will never do something on record that we can't hit 99 times out of a hundred live. So, I mean, that's another thing too. Like we're always playing within our, uh, we're always fighting within our own weight class. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, and, and I think that there is that, um, that, that notion, like, you know, when you are judging bands, like, you know, when I say judging, like, you know, you listen to their record, like I've always had the philosophy, whether or not everybody agrees with it, where it's like, okay, even if I listen to a record and I don't necessarily like it, I'm kind of like, ah, you know, maybe I'm on the fence about it, but then I can only really quote unquote write off a band. And when I say write off, that sounds so dramatic, but like yeah. when I, offici- <laughs> yeah, when I officially, I'm like, okay, I'm not a fan of this band. I have to at least see them once live in an appropriate context. And then, Oh, a hundred percent. Right. And so I, I think to your point, that's why people um, are, you know, uh, that's why people are interested in your band because they they see that there is value in, you know, this live performance. And then they obviously like the records because, I mean, essentially, that's all records are trying to do is get people to go out to a show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's just funny to me, man, because like, like, dude, knock loose. Everybody in my fucking whole northeast area used to rag on that band so hard, bro. So hard. And I'll keep it up. I'll keep it a buck with you, bro. We got that tour offer to tour with them in 2015 before before any of us were signed. It was us, Adalia, and Knock Loose in 2015. It was like a two week tour, and I listened to the gospel. Didn't even make it past the blast beat part in the beginning. I was like, this dude sucks ass at vocals. This shit is fucking garbage. And then fucking uh, Mike and my band was like, bro, make it past the intro because he already knew I didn't even make it past the intro. And I listened to the whole thing. I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. This shit's fucking sick. Um, We toured with them. And when we toured with them in 2015, they sounded almost as good as they sound now. So still fucking incredible. Um, And it took, it literally took them playing in front of these hardcore kids for years for kids to finally be like, okay, fine. The band is fucking outstanding. And like, that's... Like, that's another, that's just another example of like, same thing with Knock Loose. I'm confident enough in my friends and Knock Loose to be like, they're a hundred percent better live. And that's, what's been able to help them win over almost every demographic of people. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. That's yeah. I, I, I like that uh, thought process. Um, well, Travis, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out and being, uh, you know, as, uh, as, as, as chill and as open as you have been. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. This was fun. There we go. That was both Travis and Ethan. And thank you very much for both of them for making this happen and having the uh, the willingness to open up about their lives and the struggles that sometimes occur as you try to be in a band, you know, because a lot of people just don't don't consider that. So that is a beautiful chat for both of them. And um, yeah, please listen to the show next week because I have a great discussion, a very, very in-depth discussion with Josh Hagquist from uh, The Beautiful Mistake, who were a were and slash are a very, very good band that uh, has reformed after, I don't know, about 16, 17 years of dormancy. Uh, early 2000s is when they kind of called it quits. 
Um, but they were they were like you know really really popular, <laughs> and they were a band that were on the rise, and then uh, you know kind of ran into a wall. And we discussed that amongst many other things. And Josh is a sweetheart of a human, and was really um, yeah just open. So Josh is on the show next week. So until then, please be safe, everybody. Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.